Uh, on three, two, one, uh, we are speaking with the one and only Brian Vollmer of a great classic Canadian band, Helix, as we say in Montreal. Le bonjour, Brian. How are you? Bonjour. And uh, I was just thinking today how important you've been in our career, Mitch. Thank you. You turned me on to Sean Kelly, and that led to many wonderful things in uh, uh, the Helix story. Uh, um, you know, Sean and I have written a lot of Helix albums together, and, uh, you know, it's led to a lot of good things. Well, yeah. And, and you. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. But, yeah, you know, Sean, Sean Kelly is really sort of the – the utility infielder of Canadian rock, for the, for the lack of a better word. He's helped you, he's helped Lee Air, and he's helped Honeymoon Suite. And he's just such an incredibly talented guy and incredibly nice. Like, you would, you, you can go see him and say, hey, you've done this with Helix. You've done... And instead of having an attitude, he's just grateful. He's like, I'm just so glad that Brian wants to work. I'm just so glad that Lee Aaron wants to work. I'm just so happy that, right? I mean, just a, an, an incredible, incredible soul, I have to say. Well, in this business, it helps to be gracious and it helps to be grateful to the people that got you to the point you were. And if you don't forget your roots, I think, uh, you know, ego wise, you'll stay on course because uh, to have longevity as an artist, Mitch, um, you know, I think it's harder when you're a dink because uh, when things go bad for you, it's like uh, a free fall to the ground. Uh, but when you have friends, when you've cultivated uh, friends in the business and when you've conducted your business in a, in a, in a good way, um, when things go bad, then there's people that are willing to reach out a hand and, and to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, let, let, let's, let me get away from Sean here for a second. Let's talk about the new songs. Let's talk about Old School, the album that came out, uh, I guess, 2019, right? Two years ago. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago, no. Yeah, so but let's, let's talk about this. Uh, we're in a pandemic. You, we're, we're stuck. We can't go play shows. You've released Eat, Sleep, Rock, and you've also released recently uh, the Tequila song. Are these going to be part of an album at some point, or are these just videos? And, and then let's just talk about how you, they came together and how difficult it's been to make these videos without being able to be in the same room as your band. Well, um First off, Eat Sleep Rock came out this year, and it's basically a compilation album with one new track, uh, which is the title Cut. Uh, the first video was for that song, and um, Brent Derner does all our videos nowadays. And Brent, as you know, played guitar for Helix for many years, so he has a good feel for what the band's all about. And uh, I go to Brent with my ideas, and Brent has got that technical know-how and that creativity to put it all together in the editing room. So... Uh, on the first video, he had this uh, effect that uh, he'd figured out where you slow the track down 50%. It doesn't sound like it's slowed down. It just is slowed down. And then you have to actually move twice as fast to that beat. It's not as easy as it sounds. And we had to go all the way through the song uh, seven and a half minutes without screwing up or getting off a uh, beat and stuff because... Uh, the effect only worked if you stayed totally in uh, a beat with the song. Uh, so everybody came in and did their part separately on green screen. So it took like over a month of going back and forth to do that. Uh, then the second video, we're in a time period now where everybody's very uh, depressed and uh, looking inward and, you know, and it looks like dark days and all that stuff. So 
this video is a real fun video. It's it's just meant for a laugh. It's one of those songs I always compare it to uh, the George Thorogood song, "Get a Get a Haircut, Get a Real Job." That's it's a great song. Of, it's just one of those quirky little songs, you know. And um, so we put the video together. I saw the line dancing down in Florida a couple of years ago. I thought I got to have that in the video because. Uh, I just think people of all different ages, shapes, and sizes doing it in the background just seemed uh, like the antithesis of a metal video. And I've always liked that uh, contrast, you know. Um, even back in the day when we did Give Me Good Lovin' on, on the uh, Walking the Razor's Edge album, when we were short a song and, and I was sent out to search for, for uh, uh, different uh, music, I purposely picked that song because it was the most bubblegum uh, uh, song that I had ever heard in my life. Except for maybe, I don't know, some other stuff by the 1910 Fruit Gum Company. <laughs> and, you know, it turned out to be a big hit for us. So uh, that was a whole idea. And, and like you said, it took a lot to organize because of all the restrictions. If you notice, we're all wearing COVID masks in the video. And we're physically distancing for the most part. And uh, we did that all the way through rehearsals, everything. It was difficult to do. Um, I should mention here that uh, we had this... Uh, lady named uh, Danson Debbie, 69 years old, and she went and choreographed the whole thing in one weekend, and she was just marvelous. And uh, she actually fell and ripped her hamstring and had to teach us uh, out of a wheelchair. So She, she should have ta taught you uh, limping along, and it would have been like a, a, a young Frankenstein kind of, <laughs> kind of video. But uh, in terms of the band's career, I want to get into this because – you know, I'm in Canada. You're in Canada. We know about Helix. You have been here since the what, seventy four, seventy five. Seventy four. Seventy four. God. Yeah. In fact, let me just ask you: fiftieth anniversary coming up. Are, are we doing anything for that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yet. Twenty twenty twenty. Well, yeah. First of all, we got to know if we're actually allowed to tour, and then we'll see. But hopefully, by twenty twenty four. But. Yeah are in the future right now but but i, I want I'm, I'm curious about the longevity because it, it has been you've been a staple on the canadian scene and the industry has gone through all kinds of ups and downs and and you never from my perspective I and mean, maybe i'm wrong but you never chased trends you didn't do the whole glam metal thing maybe you poofed up your hair a little bit neat but you didn't go all out with the makeup and you didn't do the flannel and the grunge and you didn't you haven't done you know uh pop stuff in, in the in the 2000s what has kept the band moving forward and staying true to what helix is and not going uh f it we're out it's it's too difficult now you you've you've gone through the ups and downs and you've just kept coming why why do you just keep coming what keeps you motivated well i think that uh the business of the lifestyle chooses you first off you don't choose the lifestyle um i've you know, several times I've gone to quit and I've always seemed to get drawn back into it. Uh, kind of like the spy in those spy movies that kind of quits being an assassin, but the government keeps hiring him. One of those things. Um, but uh, I don't follow trends, you know. I just try to write music that, that I like. I even know I don't even listen to fans because you can chase your tail when you're writing music. I always figure... If I write something that I like, somebody else is going to like it too. So that's how I, I write songs. But uh, you don't uh, stray far from your roots. I heard Lemmy say that once, and it's true. 
I started off listening to the guests who Stephen Wolf, David Bowie, Stones, and I really haven't strayed that far from uh, you know that basis of my sound or whatever. I'm still a whiskey throated rock and roll singer. Well, you are now. Now, when you get a, an album like Walking the Razor's Edge that that breaks out, you have Rock You that's all over much music. Do you do you feel somewhat compelled to say, oh, okay, this this formula worked this time. I'm just gonna, you know, carbon copy this and like, did, do you did you have that moment in in life where you just want to say, hey, this worked once, let's let's see if we work it again, just start copying yourself and just saying, let's make some formulaic rock here. Yeah, I think that was the plan of management in the record company, though. But that was never my plan. In fact, that was a huge source of, uh, uh, um, let's say, why I broke up with uh, uh, William Sipe, who was my manager. Bill and I are still friends to this day, but. The split wasn't over money. I think a lot of people thought it was over that, but it wasn't. It was over a difference in how to market the music. He and he had a point. You know, he had, he had to sell it for us. He was the front guy, the guy out front. So he wanted something he could sell, and he was a real he was a real kind of commercial type of guy, right? Me, on the other hand, I always took the uh, uh, um, the line of thought that if you just write a good song it'll become a pop song. When we wrote Heavy Metal Love, I wasn't thinking of writing a song for radio, and that was probably just as big or a bigger hit than Rock You in the band's career. People don't realize it, but that song went to heavy rotation on MTV in the United States. It was a huge song for us, and I've licensed that song to the Trailer Park Boys. I just licensed it again for uh, the CBC a miniseries called Trickster. And um, I think there was another time I licensed the song, too. So... Uh, uh, I, I I just hate chasing music because when you start doing that, then you don't really know what you're all about. And if you don't know what you're all about, nobody else is going to know. It, it is. Now, in terms of the American market, how, how important was the American market for you? Because, listen, you've been here. I, I can go out in, in, in when the shows and see a Helix show in Ottawa and see a Helix show in Toronto. Um, but the American market has seemed a little bit more difficult. What was it about that 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 market that it was harder to break, and why couldn't you be more of an MTV uh, staple back in the day? We actually were an MTV staple back in the day. Right. Uh, 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 heavy Metal Love went to a heavy rotation. Right. I think you and Deep Cuts and Knife were both he- uh, medium rotation. Like nowadays, that's unheard of. They don't even play music videos. Uh, the States was everything back in the day because you needed the money to compete. Um, it's a matter of getting the advance money from the record company to go out there and, and pay for the videos, pay for the clothes, pay for the tours, uh, pay for the wages, pay for the transportation, pay for the management, pay for the roadies and, you know, uh, you know, 50 other things you got to pay for. So um, if you're competing against, say, an American band that's got a, a $500,000 advance, and your advance is $30,000, well, you can see the obvious disadvantage you're against. But on another level, we wanted to be a world-class, eclectic band, and we wanted to get out. We didn't want to just appeal to Canadian fans. We wanted to uh, have worldwide appeal, and we wanted to go to different places. We wanted to go to Europe. We wanted to go to South America, although we never really went. Um, But uh, we wanted to go to all those places. And uh, to me... That was a really exciting thing because I, you know, I was a big, fat, pimply farm kid 
who I uh, had very few fr friends when I went to the city and joined a rock band. So traveling to me was just everything. My favorite book when I was a kid, I remember was Huckleberry Finn. And I, you know, I even made a raft down at the creek and, you know, it sailed like about five feet before it sank like a friggin' rock. But I always had that sense of adventure, that sense of wanting to see what was at the end of that highway. And I, I don't think I've lost that over the years. And I think that's what I miss so much right now. The, going out there and going to every nook and cranny in Canada. You know, uh, uh, the year before last, um, we played in front of, uh, you know, like 6,000 people at Rock Barcelona. And then we played to 125 people in Round Lake, which is up in the middle of the Canadian wilderness for the Cree Nation. It doesn't matter to me. Um, it's all exciting. And as long as I'm making a buck and I'm not losing money, uh, I want to go there. I want to play to those people. Uh, there's no different play, you know, to me, it doesn't matter if there's 125 people out there that, that really want to see it or, or 2000 people that really want to see it. Your job as an entertainer to go out there and entertain every one, last one of those people. So, um, anyway, I miss that human contact. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, and hopefully uh, by the time we get back, we're not all dead. <laughs> well, okay. So, so, uh, you know, in, in almost every interview, the, the pandemic has become a subject, but I guess we have to j just deal with it for a second. How has how has it affected your business? Are are you able through YouTube and Spotify and all that to monetize it and keep the business moving, or is this just a, an incredible chunk that is putting your livelihood in trouble? And and when do you when do we get back out? Well, it's decimated the music business, but. Years ago, I did something which all businesses should do, and that is diversify. And I got into real estate and um, and other things like that. So I got other sources of income coming in. It's not really affecting me. It's affecting those guys that are just strictly doing music. Like like Daryl is being hammered because, you know, he goes out and he does the, uh, the solo thing. Then he's got his band. And, you know, so he's really being affected by it. Me, you know, not so much. Uh, I have a, a couple properties and uh, I just put an Airbnb up, for instance. Um, so, you know, it hasn't really affected me from that standpoint. I miss the live aspect of it. I miss the money coming in because, you know, you can't make music unless you have money. But uh, on the uh, flip side of the coin, the good thing is I have, there's probably like six uh, uh, CDs that were never, ever released in vinyl. If I really wanted to do something, I could probably go back, revisit them, do a compilation. You know, I was thinking the other day, for instance, of taking Vagabond Bones and Bastard of the Blues and make it one album called it Vagabond Blues. And, you know, put, a, put an extra track on it, just take the very best tracks and the two discs. And you put out a, a you know, a, a vinyl album. <clears throat> you know, then there's that, excuse me. Um, and I've been thinking about the uh, the acoustic show as well. Um, we shot the uh, second video up at Angus Audio in Cambridge, and it gave me the idea that if we really wanted to do, it's, instead of doing a streaming, say, uh, uh, acoustic show, I think I'd rather go in and do uh, something more along the, um, the formats of the old variety shows like Dean Martin and Lawrence Welk, where we go in and, and, and say we, uh, uh, you know, we plan out the show, we talk between the songs. It's a very controlled shoot. We can do like you know, the same song five times so we get the sound exactly the way we want it uh, and, and shoot the five times, use five uh, uh, times through the song and film. 
Um, so there's all sorts of things like that. I think uh, uh, the reason I did the, uh, I'm working on my uh, um, vocal site though first through a, a Patreon. Have you heard of that site? I have. I have a and, lot of fans that tell me I should open my own and I'm just like, eh, I don't know. Well, the reason I'm going to Patreon is because the, uh, the first thing I always think of before I get into any project is how is this going to make me money? Because there's no use burning myself out with 2,000 hours of work and then at the end of it make 25 cents. And that's part of the problem with streaming live content. <laughs> and and podcasts. Stay out of podcasting if you plan on making money. <laughs> that's right. You know, uh, it's a great idea, but it's usually a, 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 usually ideas thrown out by people that don't do the business because they know that there's no money in it. So, for instance, if I were to do a live broadcast, I have to get all the guys together somehow with all the COVID restrictions and the lockdown get all those guys we're all over southern Ontario down for a couple of practices and then, you know i mean it's so much work and so and you know you cost money to drive halfway across ontario and uh, people don't work for free so um like i said i i think i'm going to set up the vocal website on on, on on patreon first and and just get used to the site how it works uh, and see if i can't figure out how to make money by putting up videos about because I'm one of the last people in the world to teach true bel canto um, and totally by accident. And I get emails from all over the world. People want to find out about what I teach. And and so it was the easiest for me to figure out uh, on Patreon. So I'm going to go that route first and then and find out what the uh, pros and cons of it are. And, and, and just to get comfortable with the site, because basically I'm, I'm reeducating myself. Um, and uh, once I got that figured out, then I, I have a couple projects I think I'm going to take on. Uh, maybe one will be the Helix History, because uh, uh, I got, literally, I got hundreds of hours of film. And uh, the other day I was looking at some, and I was thinking, well, why am I giving away all this stuff for free? You know, it took me a lot of money to gather it all. Like, I literally, if you look behind me, there's a library of shit back there. And... Um, like literally tubs and tubs of VHS tapes. And I have uh, uh, at least three hours of uh, tape from our 1990 tour of Europe with Ian Gillum. I have uh, Ian Gillum with us in East Berlin. Any, uh, any of the early 80s stuff on the uh, KISS tour? Well, to tell you the truth, I, I remember specifically asking Gene to come in a room in that tour. And I took some pictures with my Super 8, but they I never got them developed. And then when we did the... Um, that day is going to come video. I went and gave it to Phil Cates and they sent it away to get developed in California and lost all the bloody film. So I don't know. Somebody out there has got well, that it. Was the, that was 83, right? They, they were without makeup when you did that tour, right? That's correct. First yeah. tour. First tour. I think we were the first band ever to play with them with the makeup off. And right in Lisbon, Port Portugal. Lisbon, Portugal, 1983. Wow. Well, from Lisbon, we went to, on that tour, we went to uh, Madrid, and then I think Barcelona and San Sebastian. And then from there, I don't know, I can't remember, Germany, England, Scotland. I'll ask you the uh, the geek question just real quick, and then we'll, we'll get back to Helix. But your, your opening for KISS, they were sort of reinventing who they were. What, was that a pleasant experience? Do you learn from it and look at Gene and Paul and go, okay, they're doing this, they're doing this. We're a new band. we got to figure this out. Or do you look at, or were they like, oh, you're an opening band, Pfft, leave us alone. Like, how, how was it for you in terms of opening your eyes to what the business was like? I mean, you, you'd already been on the road 10 years, I get it, but. 
<laughs> well, but Kiss is an eye opener whenever you meet them. Well, a couple of things they did, like first off, uh, you know, we were out there to learn from them. You know, they were they were the guys who were doing it. So you know, we're all out there trying to learn, and our manager Bill Sipes going, "Okay, watch the show, and you know, make pointers and try to." you know, use it in, in our show and somehow, you know, like helix size it. Anyway, we come off after, I don't know, second or third night, I can't remember now, and Gene goes, come here. He takes us all in a room and he starts giving us a friggin' lecture and basically the subliminal message is, look at, either you, he says, nobody, he goes, nobody wants another kiss and therefore quit using our moves or you're off the friggin' tour, basically. <laughs> another time <coughs> excuse me another time the record company came out and they brought these huge posters and it said Helix Heavy Metal Love on tour with Kiss and they were huge they were like I don't know three feet wide and like five feet high and they gave us about 200 of these damn things well Kenny spent the entire day putting them up all over the arena <laughs> anyway so Kiss shows up get up there for the sound check Gene, right? Over comes Kenny again. Gene goes, uh, Kenny, whose show is this anyway? <laughs> Kenny goes, well, it's your show, Gene. Of course, goes, that's right, Kenny. And I want you to take down every poster in the arena that you just put up. <laughs> so Kenny had to go take down all. But, you know, then there was other moments where um, I was on the plane uh, going home and uh, – Actually, I was waiting for the bathroom in the plane. And uh, Gene was standing there, and I was reading um, a book called Last Waltz in Vienna about Auschwitz. And uh, Gene says, my, my grandfather died in Auschwitz. And it was kind of a, uh, it was a kind of a touching moment because he got, he, he got very serious. And uh, you could tell, I don't know, just up that vibe there, you know. So, but, you know, being, being with, on tour with Kiss, you know, I'll go to my grave uh, bragging about that. Uh, who wouldn't? Yeah. So, uh, you know what I mean? I got nothing uh, uh, but good things to say about Kiss. Uh, Paul Stanley was great. I really got along with Paul, but everybody. Uh, uh, Vinnie Vincent um, was on the tour. Uh, Eric Carr. Eric Carr. Um, it, it, it was a wonderful thing. It, it was happening so fast to us at that time, though, that, and you know, we were traveling in a van sleeping on top of the gear on top of a goddamn piece of plywood. Like, and it was the middle of November, I think, or October or something. We were, it was cold. And uh, we broke down a couple of times. I remember they, the KISS crew guys felt sorry for us, and they let us ride in the front of the bus to the next gate while we got the van fixed. Um, I, I remember all sorts of things on that tour. I remember Paul Stanley used to uh, warm up with uh, a whole lot of love. That was the song they did for Soundcheck. Yeah, going after Robert Plant for sound that's not a bad way to, to warm up. Um, in in no, terms of... Way. That's a terrible way to warm up. <laughs> Don't tell anybody to do that. Uh, it'll, it'll, is, that how, is that how you've been, though, with, with opening bands? Like, when you're doing your own shows, do, do you have to control the narrative and say, this is a Helix show and don't put up your poster? Like... Is that excessive or is that no? People, when they walk in, they got to see who's who's the boss here. Because it, it, I don't see it as being unreasonable, but I also don't see it as being fully reasonable. I don't really run across things like that. Um, usually, I find the opening acts are pretty reasonable, and I, I just uh, 
I, I've learned over the years it's better to, to, to diffuse situations if possible. Uh, it's not always possible, uh, but when I go to war, I make sure before I do it that I can live with it myself the next day, whoever I'm going to war with. So I don't do it very often. Let's not go to war. Now, the other thing that I've always found about Helix music, going all the way, well, going all the way back to the beginning, but even when, you know, you look at Heavy Mental Christmas and all that stuff is even the tequila song now, there's always been a sense of you or the video you did with um, uh, the fake Gene Simmons in it. What video was that again? Oh, my brain is, uh, you did it. Says rock is dead. Gene Simmons says rock is dead, which he's he's repeated in the last week, by the way. So we we can talk about that. But you've always had a sense of humor or or a sense of, and I don't mean not taking yourself seriously because I know your business is serious, but not being like, hey, we're we're untouchable. Um, has that been important to 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 sort of have a sense of humor about what you're doing and and not take it too too seriously? Well, I, I just think that's what we are. Um, right. We kind of grew out of that in the bar. Maybe, maybe it was because, you know, back then you kind of, when you were putting together a live show, for instance, you had to appeal the audience with that song without them hearing it multiple times. So maybe those kind of quirky little songs, they work better in a live situation, and that's why we became them. I don't know. Um I don't go for that specifically when I write a song, but maybe part of my character comes apart in the lyrics, across in the lyrics. Um, bees. Uh, but we always try to write, you know, have a well-written song. Uh, might may sound, uh, have a like a, a funny side to it. Uh, but, you know, you look at um, a lot of ACDC songs are kind of humorous too. But they're very well-crafted songs. When we wrote Gene Simmons' says Rock is Dead, the idea behind that song with Sean and I was that we took the song uh, um, uh, uh, Steve McQueen by, um, I'm having a brain fart here. Who does Steve McQueen? What's her face from California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I'm going to. Anyway. anyway, that was the idea behind the song. It was a writer's technique used over time where you take a, a well-known personality and you put them in the chorus of the song cheryl crow does a version of it is that who we're... Cheryl, crow. That's we who I'm cheryl crow so that's where the idea came from and it just happened at the same time that gene came up in the interview and, and with that comment and stuck in my mind and uh, when we wrote the song it wasn't to diss gene simmons it was to uh, you know on one hand gene is very right uh, it's very difficult to make music nowadays. Everybody thinks you should give away your music for free. And I understand that completely. But my point is you'll never stop kids because kids don't get into rock and roll for money. If they did, they wouldn't get into it. <laughs> you know, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. That's why they get into rock and roll. I, I want to ask you this because you're a smart guy, and I've had this debate with others. But as a rock journalist, I'll do an interview with you. And then the sites will grab it and they'll run the content and they won't pay me. They just they just grab the and I've told a lot of sites, don't run me unless you pay me. I'm not doing this for for a hug. You know, I suppose. And I've had I've had other rock stars go, oh, Mitch, it's too serious. They're 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 covering you. It's good. And it, it, it should I be giving away my my interviews for free? And should should those content sites 
not, you know, they're monetizing everything. Should they not pay the writers? Well, I think that's a personal choice with you, right? But I, you know, I don't like doing it. Um, yeah. You know, and I've also had a real hard on for artists that uh, have people write for them, and then take credit for the songwriting. <laughs> yeah. You know? And we won't get into names here, but we all know who they are in the business. And I think that's the most disgusting thing of all. When you have artists uh, that should know better, they're musicians, and they go and they rip off their fellow musicians. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, well, um, whether you're a musician or a journalist, when you create content, you should be paid for it. I agree. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, in my case, like in my case, I got a choice, right? I, I can either quit putting out music right. because everybody wants it for free. Or I can just take a different attitude when I put out things. I'm looking at my stuff. You know, I'm not referring to your stuff. Right. But for me to put out music, if I break even, I consider myself lucky. Uh, when I put out videos, for instance, the last video cost me, it was, it was a cheapie. It cost me probably 2500 3000 So that's a dead loss. You know, and right now I'm not making any money. So, <laughs> uh, you know, what I mean, I could probably spend $3,000 on better things. But um, I look at it like a commercial. Uh, so when we get back out playing, that's where the real money is for the band. Uh, hopefully that will still, people won't have forgotten about us. Because let's face it, uh, you get forgotten pretty fast nowadays. You do. Well, okay, so let, let me just go, we'll, we'll, we'll start wrapping up. Let's, but let, let's look at the industry moving forward, especially for yeah. bands that, you know, that, that are playing places like the Brass Monkey and stuff like that. Uh, they're talking about 80... Great bar, by the way. Yeah, uh, Scotty and and uh, Dion over there in uh, Ottawa do a fantastic job. Terrific, exceptionally nice people. They treat they treat the bands right. They should get heavy metal medals. They really should. But heavy metal. <laughs> you know, eighty eighty percent of these places are expected to close. Um, and and yeah. you know the big arenas, the the Scotia Bank in Toronto, Bell Center. Some of those are too big to host shows again for for now. Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, Helix is is there. Vac, everybody's vaccinated. Everything's open, but there's nowhere to go. How, how long do you think it's going to be before we get it back? I mean, I'm I'm thinking three, four, five years. I mean, forget the COVID. I'm talking just on the business side. I think we're we're five years from having normal touring again, at least for some bands. Well, I on a large scale, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that you're going to see it come back first in the casinos. Uh, and then uh, before you'll see it come back in festivals. Um, casinos, it's going to come back. Uh, for us, I was thinking of maybe taking out the acoustic show. Uh, uh, the show we canceled last spring was called um, Acoustic Songs. is An Intimate Night with Helix. Acoustic Songs is Storytelling. Because I think, um, I'm just thinking of the vibe in the room. I talked to Sean uh, about a month ago, and he was telling me about playing the uh, new El Macombo, and he said, uh, you know, everybody was physically distance, distancing, and he said it was just a very, very weird vibe in the room, right, when you, know, you got people, like, so spaced out, because an electric show doesn't lend itself to that. An acoustic show, however, I think you could actually have people spread out throughout a 1,500-seat a, a, a soft-seat hall, and you could pull it off like you'd still have the vibe there i don't know why i just that's just a gut no I, I get it because when it when the when the amps are, are turned up to 11 you want that fist pumping you want that sweat you want them screaming back at you or singing along with you 
on the acoustic one, you just sort of want them chilling out, like a, around a campfire. So, I, yeah. I maybe that, that's a good analysis of it. I never yeah. thought of it like that. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that's maybe where it'll come back first, those two places. And then it'll be a gradual thing. Hopefully, like I said, we won't be dead. Uh, but I keep thinking of seeing Glenn Hughes last year. <laughs> you know, how old is he? Glenn is, uh, is in his 70s, 74, 75? Oh my God, that motherfucker was singing Speed King for crazy. Let's see, Glenn Hughes. I'm going to quickly give you a birth date on him. Glenn is uh, currently, uh, where is he here? He's, uh, he's, oh, he's 68. Yeah, so that's still, that's. Well, even, even so, that guy's a highway star. And he sang it dead on. Uh, he was an amazing performer when I saw, I saw We played with him in Sweden, so. Yeah, well, uh, well, you know what? We've got a lot of guys, uh, you know, with uh, Glenn and, and Alice Cooper, and, and we're they're get they're getting up there. Oh, so, see Alice in that picture I put up? Yeah, serving, serving food at a food kitchen. Yeah. Now there's a guy that's humble. You know, he hasn't forgotten his roots, uh, and uh, he's done a lot for the community, Alice. Alice, Alice is he, and he is one of the nicest people you you'll ever meet or or interview or be around. He I have never met him. <laughs> oh, I have met him. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm talking to fans in general. He's just he's, you know, there are there are, and I don't mean to badmouth anybody, but there are some rock stars who just think that they're rock stars and everything is, you know, they're bigger than everything. I'll tell you when I did meet him. We were touring with him, and on what second night I. I was sitting beside the, uh, his manager in the uh, cafeteria, and I said, uh, I'd really like to, you know, meet Alice and get a picture taken with him. He said, well, tell you what. He said, tomorrow night, he said, after the show, he said, get your camera, tell everybody in the band to get their camera and be ready, and I'll take you down to uh, Alice's dressing room. You got to meet him. And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, right. That's yeah, going to yeah. happen. That's right. You just got the brush off. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Sure enough. So we get ready the next night. Sure enough. There he is, right? Takes us down to the room. We stood outside for about 10 minutes. And Alice was inside with, I don't know, other people. And he and all of a sudden, he comes out, this guy, not Alice, because this uh, manager comes on and says, okay. He says, uh, go in there. I says, uh, you there? Yeah, I'm here, oh. but but you hit the camera and I can't see your face anymore. All I see is the ceiling. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. No worries. But so anyway... Uh, they come take us down, and uh, he comes on. And he says, "Go on in there." He says, "Take your time. There's no time limit." He says, "Take pictures. Ask him whatever you want." We went in, and it was just us and Alice Cooper. It was amazing. There's nobody else in the room, and Alice was just standing there like this, waiting for us. And we came in, and I and I was like uh, very gobsmacked, as my wife would say, because I was a very very big Alice Cooper fan when I was a kid. I used to hitchhike with Alice Cooper albums. And uh, I was blown away, and I asked. And I was kind of like stunned. I didn't, you know, I should have had questions for him. But the other guys were asking uh, uh, questions about uh, Ezrin and and um, you know how he recorded certain stuff and things like that. And uh, it was such a nice experience, and it was and it was so nice to beat a real genuine star without an ego. Um, I couldn't say enough. Good things about Alice Cooper. Yeah, the, the 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 entire Alice Cooper organization is just run so smooth, so easygoing. They they don't jerk you around. They, if they say something, they do it. And it doesn't matter who's in the band too. All the band members come in, and they take up that work ethic. 
It doesn't matter yeah. if it's Orianti or or Tommy or, or Ryan. They come in and they're part of that, and it's 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 first class. It's just always always first class. It all flows from the top down, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, let, let's finish on this here because we're 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 past half an hour. But old school, like we said, came out in 2019. Uh, when is sort of the next new one of all new material? And is it is it still worth it to make new music? Do you want to just go out and play the the top fifteen hits, or do you need to stay creative and you need to keep saying something? I, I think I need to stay creative myself. That's why I got into the business. As long as I can keep doing it and not lose money, well, now I'm going to keep doing it. Um, that's where I get my big charge out of life. Uh, when I was a kid, I was involved in music, singing, making films, writing stories, drawing pictures. I still do all that stuff nowadays when I get paid to do it. So it doesn't get much better than that. No. So, but do, do you do you see yourself writing something for 2021 or 2022 or... I've already written some stuff. Oh, good. See, I love that. Yeah, we, we got, I got, I got songs on the go right now with uh, Caleb, uh, who's not in the band anymore. I got songs going with uh, uh, Chris and Daryl, and I got songs going with um, Sean. Yeah, uh, all in the process. I got one that I just finished with Daryl and Chris. I just wait until the lockdown's over. I'll go down and record my part. Um, you know, uh, for the stuff I got going with Sean. Uh, I got to go to Toronto probably to finish it off properly. So once again, got to wait for the lockdown. Same thing with Caleb. But I'm writing all the time and uh, working on the films all the time. So right. I never stop. I get up out of uh, my first thing I do in the morning when I get up is I come down and answer all the mail from all the fans. Right. I still do that. That's still priority in the morning. And I, I try to post something. Now I got the uh, singing website. So today I spent, I think, four hours just putting Getting up that up and going. Part. Well, okay, so th- this will be the last question then, because the band hasn't quit. We know that. You're, you're still going. Was there a time in the career where, because of whatever politics at the radio, or not at radio, at the record company, or within, where you just went, F it. I'm done. This band's done. I'm out. Or have you always just put your head down and go, okay, there's a solution. Let me get, like, did you ever have a dark moment where you just went, F it. I can't. No, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. Well, I, I had a couple of them. The, the, the closest I came though to, to quitting the band was in 1999 when we went to, or sorry, 1989 when we went to a Europe on the Ian Gillen tour. I had told my manager before we left, uh, I said, cancel that tour. I'm out of here. And he said, look, I can't do that. You know, it's all together, right? A lot of people are depending on you. So I said, okay. I said, when I get back, that's it. I'm out of here. So we did the Ian Gillen tour and, uh, I drank myself senseless for most of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if I wouldn't have done that tour, I wouldn't have met my wife, who changed my life. Uh, and then uh, when we got to the end of the tour, Good to the Last Drop became this huge hit. And my manager phoned me and said, look, I know you're going to quit, and da, 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 but you got this hit back in Canada. If you go do a tour, you can stand and make a little bit of coin before you call it a day. Well, I ended up doing that tour and never, ever did quit. I never even brought it back up. Huh? I don't know. I just kind of forgot about it. I don't know what happened there. So. You but, keep getting sucked. But why, why did you want to quit? Was it just 
too much politics or your body was too tired you were you were too too much drinking what 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 got to the point where you just went mm. no money money yeah that comes down to money okay in eight, nine, eight in 1989 i had been in the band since 1970 what's that six that's a 14 years i'd go and plot and i was making uh 200 bucks a week i went fuck this but what, know, but if you if have I, gold and platinum albums, where's the money going? Was it did you write a was it a bad record deal? Ah, uh, well, you know, as bad as record deals went at that period of time period, right? Uh, I think it was more just the fact that we were trying to compete, and um, right, you know, we weren't these big pop hit song writers like everybody wanted us to be. You know, we weren't a honeymoon suite, we weren't a glass tiger, and in Canada, everybody wants you to be that. Because if you're a rock band, you stick out like a, a, a sore thumb on radio. Like, if you don't believe me, like, you t- take radio from back then and, you know, in the midst of Trooper and Harlequin and all that stuff, suddenly you stick, I don't know, rock you. And, you know, it doesn't fit. And that was the problem with, with, with Helix in Canada. We didn't fit radio uh, format. Well, Canadian radio format has always been very suspicious because you've got CanCon rules and you got to play at this time rules and X amount of French rules and you have to have there's there's so many rules. It's just like, can't you just play my fucking song? Just just play my song, <laughs> you know. But you know, there well, it is. Happens when government tries to get involved and tries to legislate what you should like and what you shouldn't like. Um, yeah. yeah, you and I probably are going to be very similar on this, but coming from Quebec where they legislate a lot of stuff, I've always said, listen, you can't legislate culture. It exists because the people who are living it want it to exist. And if they don't That's want right. it to exist, you let it go. But Yeah, and, you know, anybody that, that that doesn't think French culture is strong has ever been in Quebec City. Oh, French culture is great. City and it's just such a beautiful city, the art, yeah. the, you know, all of it, right? Yeah, do nothing to make that better. No, Quebec is is terrific, and and the French population is terrific. Yeah, that's right. Here's another misnomer, too, right? You always hear it like, well, I don't know. I hear it frequently in English Canada that, you know, people in Quebec are unfriendly. Maybe not so much in the last couple of years, but in times gone by. But I never found out. I went camping in uh, uh, Jacques Cartier Provincial Park. I found people bent over backwards to help us. We went out for breakfast, as long as you know a little bit of French. Yeah, but even even then, (laughs) yeah, but even then, there there is an incredible joie de vivre in Quebec. You can't deny that. There, there is, but but I I was also. I think it's just a political crowbar myself. No, I think that the people saying that just sometimes just you know are making up for their own lack of whatever, but. I'm also also specifically referring to music. We had all these CanCon rules and stuff, and I go, okay, it's great. But how about we just tell our artists to write a better song or put on a better like? Here, I, here, and, and and you take uh, the the uh, CanCon rules for say classic rock. They actually hurt new music by old bands, and here's why: because they have a certain quota. Okay, once again, here's the government trying to get involved. So there's so much quota. So you're a program director. What are you going to play? The new song by Helix or Rock You? Are you going to play the new song by Trooper? Or are you going to play here for the 500 millionth time? 
here for a good time. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that I don't like those songs. Those bands are all my friends and everything, right? But it actually uh, 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 stifles new music from hitting the airways because the program director is always going to choose the tried and true over the unknown. Yes. It's just human and, nature. And, and, and I and, have program directors tell me right straight to my face. Uh, where it, it doesn't matter if you write the next, I don't know, honky-tonk woman. We're not going to play it because we don't play new stuff on our station, right. period. So if classic rock radio doesn't play new material by classic rock bands, where are you supposed to go? Uh, like in, in London, Ontario, I can't go to FM 96. They're not they're going to laugh me out of the joint, you know? Um, oh, you're, you're going to get me riled up, but I, but I have that discussion with people about, for example, Hair Nation on Sirius. They play the old, the old, the old. They don't play the new Helix. They don't play the new Bon Jovi. They don't play the new Def Leppard. And they go, well, where are they going to go? They're not going to go. And it's like, why not make an hour on a Sunday night and say, here are the latest songs by Helix. Here, you know, make it a, make it a program, you know, come on to whatever in London, come on onto Sirius and say, hey, it's Sunday night, you know, new music Sundays. And, but they don't. And it's. You know, I, I would even go further. I would suggest a whole radio station dedicated to new material by old bands. Because yes, th that that demographic that followed that music during the 70s, 80s, uh, somewhat uh, early 90s, um, that, that demographic back then didn't have two nickels to rub together. Now they are uh, uh, have disposable income. They're all middle-aged. They want to spend money. If they wanted something on their bucket list, they don't care how much it costs. So there is an audience out there for that music. But I think when you just try to timidly stick a song in here or there, once again, it sticks out like a, a, a goddamn sore thumb. Like you should have a whole friggin' station, just new stuff by old bands. And I bet you a lot of people would tune in. I'd be curious. I'd be curious as hell to hear what the new song from, I don't know. Uh, fog had uh, whatever and, and and that song and that stuff exists and I'll tell you I run into it as a rock journalist all the time and I, it happened just last night there's a band out of England called Thunder they've been around since 89 yeah. great band great band right and they put out new music all the time and I put a video up yesterday of their new single and one of the replies I got was I didn't realize they were still around and it's like but they've put out an album in 2017 2015 they they have never disappeared. And unfortunately, a lot of the fans don't realize that because serious, because they don't play the new music. And people just think that these bands don't uh, exist. And it, it drives me nuts. Mention this very quickly, right? That's one reason I'm with Paris Records out of Houston, Texas. Tom Mathers knows how to work uh, music from this, from this era. And uh, he's got a new one coming out by, what is it now? My friend Gear. Arn, uh, uh, the Norwegian company? Uh, no, no, sorry, the... Uh, oh, geez, I feel stupid because I can't remember the name of his band. It's like the Viking Company or something like that. But right. Tom, really, Tom really knows how to work a record. And he doesn't go to conventional radio. He he takes us straight to internet radio. When, when, when the last album came out, he had 140 IDs set up for me. And I spent a couple of days just going doing IDs. He said, look, and he says, I guarantee you, if you do these uh, IDs for the stations, I'll at least give you one spin. So I know I got 140 spins out there on the new record somewhere. Took a lot of, a, a little bit of legwork to do it. Like, you know, I mean, you have to sit down, you have to do the IDs and stuff. But uh, it's still possible to do only yep. on the internet now.
Yep, it is. And uh, and I'll, I'll finish on the last point with the CanCon. What drives me crazy is the point system. And they'll tell a Canadian artist who happened to have worked with a non-Canadian that their song is not like, you know, the, the famous one with Brian Adams where he did stuff with Rod Stewart and, and they went, it's not a Canadian. It's like, no, if you're a Canadian, you're a Canadian. There, there's no, I'm a Canadian, but I have four stars. I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I can understand that maybe if you're Rod Stewart and you've worked with Bob Ezrin and you've written with Brian Vollmer and they can say, okay, well, there's enough Canadian in this that will give you the, but you can't say to Brian Vollmer, hey, you're not Canadian, so you don't get that. It's ridiculous. Oh, as we say in Montreal, toujours un plaisir. Always a pleasure, uh, Sir uh, Sir Vollmer. Uh, thank you so you're much. And, and of course, folks, uh, do check out the uh, the two new videos. Head over to uh, YouTube. Look up uh, Helix. Watch all the videos, for crying out loud. But watch them on the official Helix channel to get the... <laughs> To help to help monetize, and of course, old school is the uh, latest album. Well, n- new album. There's a compilation, but the uh, the latest new new album is old school, and it's great because it is old school rock and roll. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think I might actually go back and revisit that album uh, if we get we're off for an extended period of time because we never really got a chance to work it. It was a really busy year. But yeah. um, thank you for all your support, Mitch, and uh, I'd like to say thank you to everybody out in Quebec too. Love the province, and hope we're back soon. It's a great province. And uh, hold on. Helix Rock Band is the official um, uh, YouTube landing place. So Helix Rock Band, head over, subscribe. I subscribe. And uh, Eat Sleep Rock, the tequila song, and so much more. Uh, go watch. Go enjoy. Merci, monsieur. Huh? Cheers. Mer- Merci. Thank oh, you. Sorry. Good hear you, buddy. No, no worries. I, I'm, uh, I, 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 I mumble as I got older. No, but anyway, thank you. Let me just, uh, let me hit, let me hit stop on the uh, recording.